Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be in Ephesians 4 here this morning. And uh, I know we have some guests uh, joining with us this morning, so thankful that you're here. Uh, We started uh, doing some teaching here on the gifts, spiritual gifts, and we've already covered uh, a couple weeks about these, and so if you weren't there for that, you can find uh, all of our messages uh, online, and you can catch up if you so desire to do so. Uh, But we're going to be here in Ephesians 4, and as we... Our teaching on spiritual gifts, I had mentioned that we'd be looking at the major passages on the spiritual gifts to help us understand what Scripture uh, does teach. And uh, did everybody get a handout here for this morning? If you did not get one, Adrian, my faithful handout hander, will get you one. Okay, If you need one, just slip up your hand. Adrian will get you one and uh, help you with that. So as we work through these passages, uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be revisiting a passage several times uh, to really understand uh, what Scripture teaches about spiritual gifts. And um, if you can recall our definition of spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are channels by which God's grace comes to the church for the purpose of edifying the believer, maturing the church, and glorifying God. Spiritual gifts are channels by which God's grace comes to the church for the purpose of edifying the believer, maturing the church, and glorifying God. And so over the next couple of weeks, our attention here is going to be drawn to what Ephesians teaches us about the maturity that comes from using the spiritual gifts in the body. And uh, that is God's whole purpose, right? He gives us these spiritual gifts to bring about maturity in the body of Christ, and uh, we'll see that as we work through a few weeks here out of Ephesians. And let me ask you this question, what is the purpose of the Christian? What is the purpose of the Christian? We are here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But how do we do that? We glorify God and enjoy Him by living each day in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ and by using the spiritual gifts that he has given us to really extend his kingdom. The context for exercising these gifts is in the local church. And so that's where we use our spiritual gifts. Do spiritual gifts bless unbelievers? Yes, they do. But the context of where we are supposed to be using the spiritual gifts is within the local church. Now, when we talk about church, we're not necessarily talking about this building, right? We're talking about the body collectively. And so we can use our spiritual gifts when we gather together on a Sunday morning, but spiritual gifts can also be used throughout the week. Anytime that you are gathering together with the body of Christ, you can use spiritual gifts to help mature one another. And this is all part of God's plan and purpose uh, for the church. And the end result of that maturity, as you'll see over the next couple weeks, is in Ephesians 4.16, is to build itself up in love. And this is God's purpose, and this is what he desires. It is for his glory and our good. Now, since we're going to be jumping right into Ephesians 4, I I think it's helpful to know the context. Uh, Paul has been emphasizing unity 
within the church. And he does this uh, with uh, seven, uh, basically, phrases or words uh, that he uses in uh, Ephesians 4, 5. He talks about the unity, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, uh, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And uh, it's important to remember that unity does not imply uniformity. And we know that because later on from this, God, uh, Paul begins to talk about how God has blessed the church with a diversity of spiritual gifts. And so just because we have unity, right, we have unity in Christ, we have unity with uh, who Jesus is, who God is, our belief in the word of God, right? There's this unity, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? We have that unity. But then also there's diversity that God has given the church uh, with the different spiritual gifts. And so he gives us these gifts for his purpose. We must remember that our gifts are not about us, but they are about him. And sad to say that there are a lot of churches that use spiritual gifts to make it about themselves, right? The attention is all focused on them. But in reality, spiritual gifts are supposed to be used to edify the whole body. It's to glorify God, right? And so it's not about us, it's about him. And as you'll see over the next couple of weeks, the purpose he gives gifts for the church is for maturity. So here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. The resurrected and ascended Christ has given me a gift, and I am to use that gift as part of the church to further his kingdom. The resurrected and ascended Christ has given me a gift, and I am to use that gift as part of the church to further his kingdom. So let's jump here into uh, Ephesians 4, 7. Number one, Christ has given us spiritual gifts. Notice what Paul says here. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Notice the words there. But to each one. This gives us some insight that we are talking about the individuals that make up the body of Christ. He's talking to the whole church. He's talking specifically to this church at Ephesus. And he's saying to each one of us, right, this gift of grace has been given to us. And if you are a believer in Jesus, then Christ has given you a gift. Look at that word grace there. This is significant. Paul used the word grace in several other instances here in Ephesians. You'll find it several times. Uh, we find it used in Ephesians 3.2, Ephesians 7 uh, and 8. Uh, but this grace is what was given to Paul as a gift. It was a gift of grace. And it focuses on God's undeserved favor. That's what grace is. It's undeserved favor. God has given us undeserved favor. We do not earn it. We do not merit it. We don't work for it. God gives us grace. That's what's so amazing about grace, right? It's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor or, his, or him liking us more or disliking us. He loves us, right? He gives us grace. It's undeserved favor. And so we have this undeserved favor. And this undeserved favor is what, Paul, what took Paul from being a persecutor of the church right, to now one who is proclaiming 
God's grace and his mercy uh, in the church now. And he's a preacher of the gospel. But here in verse 7, he says that this same grace extends notice to each one of us. What is so amazing about this grace? Well, first of all, Christ has given us the gift of grace for salvation. We see that Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What is that not of yourselves? The gift of grace, the gift of faith. I mean, God works it all in salvation, right? He gives you the grace. He gives you the faith. That's what's so amazing about salvation. And so God has given us a gift of grace in salvation, each one of us here is referring to those to whom Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And so if you have not been rescued from God's judgment, uh, that's what saved means, is to be rescued from God's judgment by God's undeserved favor, through grace through faith in Christ's death as your substitute, then really nothing else that I'm going to say to you is going to make any sense because you've never really experienced his grace, the gift of grace in salvation. And so God has given us this gift of salvation. And so if you need the gift of salvation, um, you must repent. You must believe the gospel. You must turn from your way of living, turn from what you are trusting in, turning from your sin, and turn to Christ, uh, the only way of salvation, so that way you can experience uh, his grace uh, for forgiveness of sins. But also, not only is it a gift of grace and salvation, but secondly, we see this. Christ has given us a gift of grace for service. Remember, I told you that all the spiritual gifts fall in one or two categories, either speaking or serving. And God uses all those gifts to edify, to mature, to glorify. He does all of this within the context of the local church. And so Christ has given us a gift of grace uh, for service, whether speaking or serving. And we've already gone through those uh, listings of the gifts, but if you want to look them up again, you see the passages there, Romans 12, 3, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 10 through 30, and also Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Um, and um, with these gifts that are given to us, I, I did want to make a few points about how they're to be used. We already talked about, gave a brief uh, description of what they are, but I want to give you a few points of how they are to be used. So here they are. These, these gifts are given for his purpose. Paul emphasizes this each time he speaks about spiritual gifts. In Romans 12, 3 through 6, he mentioned that God has allotted to each a measure of faith and that these gifts differ according to the grace that God has given to us. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, he attributes the distribution of the various gifts to the sovereignty of the Spirit. Meaning, the Spirit of God chooses uh, what gifts to give to whom. And it's totally by his choosing and his choice. Now here in Ephesians 4, 7, it is according, notice what he says here, these gifts... These gifts of grace, they're according to the measure of Christ's gift. Think about that. The gifts that God gives us are according to the measure of Christ's gift. In John MacArthur's New Testament commentary, he explains this verse this way. 
The measure or specific portion given is by sovereign design from the head of the church. The Lord has measured out the exact proportion of each believer's gift. So in other words, you never have too much and you never have too little. He's given you exactly what you need for the purpose of edifying, for the purpose of maturing the church, for the purpose of serving the church. God has given you that gift of grace to be used within the local church. Here's the second thing, how these gifts are to be used. We must use these gifts as he directs. He is the sovereign Lord who distributes gifts according to his purpose. Thus we are accountable to him to use the gifts that he has given as he directs. Contrary to popular opinion, there is no distinction in the New Testament between so-called clergy and the laity of the church. You know, like, oh, well, you know, they went to Bible college and they know everything. And so they're like way up here and we're way down here. Eh, wrong. Wrong theology. Okay. There's no distinction in God's word. What do we see? We see the whole body working together collectively so that the church matures. And so that means all of us have a part. Every single one of us has a part. And so guess what? When we are not participating, when we're not here, when we're not being a part of the body, we're not helping the church mature because we're just kind of doing our own thing. We're just kind of like a, uh, just a separate thing over here somewhere, right? And we're supposed to use our gifts collectively as a whole so God can help mature the church. It is true that some may be supported so that they can work full-time in various ministries. I am a vocational elder, so therefore I make my living as uh, doing a lot of the primary teaching and preaching of the Word of God here. Um, but some are even given leadership gifts to equip the rest of the saints for ministry, as we see in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. But every Christian is in the ministry. Every Christian is in the ministry. We all have a part in that. And so in the sense that every Christian has a spiritual gift and will give an account to God for how he will use it, you are part of the church. You are part of this local body. You are part in helping the church mature. You are part in uh, partnering with the ministry there. So each of us needs to carefully consider what gifts the Lord has entrusted us with and how does he want me to use them for his kingdom purposes. How, how is God using me to help mature the church, to help it grow? Am I doing that? If I'm not doing that, then I'm not really actively participating in helping the church. Here's the third thing. These grace gifts are a privilege to serve Christ. Notice in our text here again, Paul emphasizes this by repeating the terms grace, given, and gift. Grace, given, gift. Grace, given, gift. Because our spiritual gifts were given to us by grace, there is no place for boasting. 
As Paul asked a rhetoric question in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast if you had not received it? Why are you acting like you didn't get anything, right? Also, there's no place for complaining when you serve the Lord. The very fact that you were a former rebel, right? You were against God, that you were in league with the devil, right? Uh, you have no place to complain. What has God done? He has, he has heaped upon you grace, mountains of grace. And he's rescued you from the very clutches of darkness. And he has uh, redeemed your soul. So therefore, why are we complaining, right? Why are we complaining if we have to, if we don't get to, if we can't, we can't, right? Like, why are we complaining, we used to live for vain pleasures. We used to be headed towards eternal punishment. And so I say to that, when you're tempted to quit serving the Lord because someone hurt your feelings or didn't appreciate you, stop and think about the undeserved privilege of serving him. Remember, your gift is not about you. It's about him and serving him. Let's look at a second thing here. The resurrected Christ qualifies him to give spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here on these two verses because sometimes a lot of questions comes up, you know, did Jesus go to hell and, you know, those things. And we actually addressed this passage about five years ago. Um, so if you want to figure out, you know, what we, what we talked about with that, you can go online and you can uh, find the, the message there. Um, but Jesus here gave us grace and gave us a gift or gifts. So notice what Paul says here, and he's going to be quoting from an Old Testament passage here. He says, therefore it says, when he ascended, when Christ ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? And so what do we base that on? What do we base us on the fact that God, that Jesus has given us grace and has given us these, these gifts? What do we base that on? It's all based upon the fact that Jesus Christ has resurrected from the dead and has ascended to the Father on high. That's what we base this on. It's because of the victory that Christ accomplished in rising from the dead. The ascension of Jesus is very important for the church. Take a look at Ephesians uh, 1.22. So just flip with me a couple past, uh, pages over here. Ephesians 1.22. Listen to what Paul writes here about this. He's speaking of Christ. It says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Who's in charge of the church? Is it the elders? Nope. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It is him to whom that we submit to. It is him that we, that we obey, right? We submit to Christ. Christ is the head of the church. And the Bible here, Paul says that he has placed him Head, right? He's he is ascended high above all, over all. And so the ascension of Christ is very important to the church when we're talking about spiritual gifts. Paul writing about Jesus' resurrection and ascension. 
Paul tells us that he is the head. And it was through this ascension that Jesus now has the authority and the ability to give grace to each one of us. The way Paul describes this for us is that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to recite this Old Testament passage out of Psalm 68, 18. And so Paul is quoting here out of Psalm 68, 18 about a victorious warrior. If you read the language out of Psalm, we're not going to flip over there, but if you read the language, it is about a victorious warrior. He's gone into battle. And he's, and he's taken captive over the enemies. And now he comes back in all of his pomp and splendor and victory. There's a victory parade that has happened. And he's, he's giving out gifts. I mean, you could just imagine him riding maybe on a wagon or he's riding on the horse and, and he's just showering people with gifts. Look what we've accomplished. Look what we've done. This is Jesus, right? This is how Paul is, is putting it into place here. And so he's quoting this and he's telling us about that God is the one to be praised because of his past acts of deliverance and care for his people. And there's victory language all throughout that psalm in, in Psalm 68, and I encourage you to read it. There was a custom in ancient wars of a victory parade when one army had conquered another and the defeated kings, the generals, and the princes were made to walk in a procession in chains before everybody else. The conqueror was leading a host of captives. And the victors had taken their enemies captive and were now making a public display of them. The conquering general would ride in a chariot throwing the spoils of victory to his own people. And so Paul takes this verse about a victorious Israelite king leading his captives in triumphal procession, having received the spoils of war, and applies it to the victorious ascended Christ in relation to his church. And so this teaches us a spiritual truth. He defeated his enemies. What enemies did Christ defeat? Well, he defeated sin. In Colossians 2.14, right? He defeated it. It tells us in Colossians 2.14, he has destroyed what was against us, a certificate of indebtedness as expressed in decrees opposed to us. He has taken it away by nailing it to his cross. We see that he also defeated Satan in Colossians 2.15, disarming the rulers and authorities. He has made a public disgrace of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And we also see that he has defeated death and hell. Revelation 1.17-18, When I saw him, I fell down at his feet as though I were dead. But he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the one who lives. I was dead but look, now I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and of Hades. He's defeated it. This is our resurrected, ascended Christ that we serve, church. This is the one that is the head of all things. And he has defeated all. And he has all authority and all power to give us grace as he wills. And he has all authority and power to empower us with the spiritual gifts so that it will accomplish his purpose and plan for the church. This is whom we serve. This is our Christ. This is our Lord. 
He bound them all in chains and rose triumphant over all of his foes. And after his ascension, Jesus gave gifts to his church. Remember the picture here, right? Pictures of a victorious warrior receiving spoil after his victory and then distributing that spoil as gifts to his people. Acts 2.33 reminds us, So then exalted ascension to the right hand of God, and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out what you both see and hear. And so Jesus pours out uh, on us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit then portions out our spiritual gifts. This is all important to understand is when we talk about the maturity of the church, that Christ has given spiritual gifts for the maturity of the church. Because remember, who does the church belong to? Him. And it's going to be what he desires for the church. Let's look at the third thing. Christ has given us spiritual gifts to reveal his glory and his sovereignty. Notice what Paul says. He continues in verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended, notice the language here, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Ephesians 4 teaches us that Christ has given spiritual gifts to the church for the purpose of maturity. And since Christ is qualified to give us these gifts, it is all for his own purpose and glory. So if Christ's desire is that the gifts be used to bring about maturity, that is God's own choosing. This reveals to us his sovereignty, that he is in control of everything, and it is his desire to do what he pleases. He does everything for his own glory, everything. Listen to how Paul sums this up for us, right? Verse 10 again. Above all the heavens, that he might fill all Things above all and fill all is what he's saying. Listen to how Paul describes this for us in Ephesians 1, uh, 20 through 21. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so Paul states that after God raised Jesus from the dead, he was seated in the heavenlies, far above all rule and authority. And later he adds that he has now put all things into subjection under him, right? And he has become the head of all things. And so we learn from all of this that Jesus filling all in all or all things refers to his sovereign rule over all The connection with the church shows us that Jesus exercises his sovereign rule and displays his spiritual presence through the church. Could it be the reason why we do not see God's sovereign rule and the display of his power and the display of his magnificence is because we have made church all about us and not about Christ anymore? We've now made church more of a consumer type thing. What can the church give me? What can this do for me? What can I get out of this? Rather than how can I display the magnificence of the glory of Christ to the body of Christ 
as He has equipped me to use my spiritual gifts? See, we've lost the focus. We've taken Christ out of the picture. And now we've put it more on ourselves. And so God does everything for His own glory and His own sovereignty. As we exercise the spiritual gifts that the ascended, victorious Savior has given to us, we participate in Christ's purpose to show to the world that Christ is the ruler over all. And we submit to his authority as we are used for his purpose. I can't tell you how important it is to make sure you are committed to the body of Christ. And I'm not just talking about coming to a, to a service on Sunday, right? There's a lot of people that attend services all the time. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being committed to the body of Christ. Not just showing up, but being committed. How could I be used to help mature the body of Christ? What has God gifted me with so that I could fulfill his purpose of being above all and filling all? How is God going to use me in that way? If all you do is attend a weekly church service, but you're not involved in using your gifts to serve, you are not fulfilling Christ's purpose for your life, nor are you helping the church to grow in maturity, unity, and glorify God. In my background, uh, coming from the certain denomination I came from, and I was joking with another individual about this with spiritual gifts, um, because they kind of came from a similar background, and uh, they were like, you know, it seems like um, the, the certain kind of church that we are part of, they really didn't talk about spiritual gifts. And I was like, no, 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 they did. Uh, basically, the spiritual gifts that you could do was you could tithe and you could work in the nursery, right? Like, that's, that's the equivalent of the spiritual gifts. And, um, you know, the reality is, is it's, it's not just about working in the nursery. And I'm not saying if you work in the nursery that you're not using a spiritual gift or if you're giving that's not using a spiritual gift. But I'm saying there's more to it than just what we think of just these little things that we kind of classify as, oh boy, they are working at the church or they're being a part of the church, right? There's so much more to it than that. And uh, so really want to help us understand that uh, we need to be maturing, uh, helping the, the, the body of Christ mature. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.